Well, praise God, rise up. I am hoping and praying that this week has been a great week. Um, I'm grateful to God for all of you guys and just what God is doing in this season. I know that this season is such a difficult season for so many people. And um, I heard it from a pastor this last week and it just encouraged me. And I want to remind all of us that are listening is that this season, it can seem that the world is so dark and struggling right now. And what this pastor said that really encouraged me is he reminded us that, that when the world is at its darkest, that's when the light of Jesus shines its brightest. And so I'm grateful to God that he would choose me and you to be living right now in this season. And I believe that God puts you where he put you for a reason. Right? I know that every single one of us is in a position right now where I don't know exactly what God is trying to do in your life, but all that I do know is that God has a plan, that God put you in the spot he did. He gave you the gifts that he gave you for a reason, and I can tell you that that reason is to give God glory. It's to advance the kingdom of God. And so um, I'm grateful for the fact that I get to be the light of the world today. And I pray that as you listen to this, that you would focus back in, not on all of the earthly things that you're doing. So it's not bad to focus on your job, but I think it's important for you as a followers of Jesus to recognize and say, God, why did you give me my job? I know it's not just for me to make money. I know it's not just for me to be comfortable, God, but there is an eternal purpose of why I'm here today. And so I'm grateful to be here with you guys. I'm excited to dive into Joshua chapter 6. Uh, last week what we did is we started looking at Joshua chapter 6 and we we, we kind of laid the groundwork and said that last week we were going to look at the, we're going to split up Joshua chapter 6 into three parts. Um, last week we looked at actually the last part. And so we went to the end, the last eight verses of Joshua chapter 6. And what I want to do is I wanted us to lean into the tension that we see in Joshua chapter 6 when we see that the Israelites in their process of conquering the land of Canaan, there's a really big characteristic of God that I think we have to recognize and even wrestle with as believers in that, yes, God is a loving God, but God is also a God of judgment. God is also a God of justice. He's also a God of wrath even. And so I think in at least America today, we love to talk about the parts of the scripture that make us comfortable, the, the parts that tell us that we're more than conquerors, but we tend to not talk about the parts where we see evidence of God's judgment. And the reality is that that's why the Son of God was needed, right? When you think about how we profess that Jesus died for our sin, the fact that we had sin is the product of us not living up to the covenant relationship that we walked into with God. And as a part of that, we were, what the Bible says, deserving of God's wrath. But yet, because of his great love for us, he sent his son Jesus to die for you and for me. And we're covered by that. But it's important to recognize that God is a God of judgment. There is a heaven, there is a hell. And that is a very real reality for us as followers of Jesus. Right, and so we went to the end of Joshua chapter 6. I felt like that was important to address that up front. And now we're going into the beginning of Joshua chapter 6. So again, context-wise, the Israelites have just crossed over the Jordan. They have been circumcised. They have been consecrated. They have celebrated the Passover together at Gilgal. And now they are standing outside of Jericho, their very first battle in the Promised Land. And I want to just read through the first 11 verses. So we're going to read Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. 
We're going to talk about it a little bit. I really believe, you guys, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to some of us tonight. I really believe that the Holy Spirit has spoken some words to me and to us that are, that are meant to encourage us. And so I want us to lean into that today. And so Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 says this. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. Praise God. So Holy Spirit, as we dive into these verses, have your way. God, speak. God, speak a prophetic word to each person, God, what they need to hear, Lord. God, I don't know the season they're in, Lord, and I know that you're the only one that knows where they are. So God, speak a specific word to them. Let them hear what they need to hear, God. Let us lean in in humility, God. God, we thank you and we love you in your holy name. Amen. 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 Well, praise God. So Joshua chapter 6, again, we're looking at verses 1 through 11, and this is a really important moment in the book of Joshua, because up until this point, our story and our study of the Joshua generation through Joshua 1 through 5 has been strictly preparation, if you will, for the conquest, right? That we know that God is bringing the Israelites into the promised land, but up until this point, it's really been preparation, right? God has brought them past through the Jordan River, right? Joshua has been called as the leader. Um, you know, they've been they've been consecrated, they've been circumcised, they've celebrated the Passover and the Lord's goodness back in Egypt, and God is now giving them instructions, right? So at the end of chapter five, it's important to remember that Joshua, right, that they are on, they've just celebrated the Passover, and the day after the Passover, um, they eat the unleavened bread, and now we see that Joshua, when he's near Jericho, he sees this man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. Joshua asks who he is, and he says that he is the commander of the army of the Lord. And so now the, 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 the commander of the army of the Lord speaks to Joshua and gives them these instructions, right? And so the Israelites are at the base of Jericho, if you will. They've just crossed over. And what Jericho is really is Jericho, especially, especially from, a, from a geography standpoint, Jericho really serves as the back door into the Canaanite land. Jericho is the first step for the Israelites to get into the promised land. And so they have to go through 
Jericho. All right, and what I see in verse 1 and 2, it's interesting just right away. You know, the author decides to write, he says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've delivered, the Jericho, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with all the kings and its fighting men. Right, so first off right now is what I see just right away is I'm like, all right, you know, if you will, this is kind of like finally game time. Right? When I think about hoops growing up, it was always like, you know, you practice, you practice, you practice, you watch film, you do all these things, you know, you, you, you get ready for the game, and now you're finally at the game, right? Now you're finally at the first battle that the Israelites were going to face, right? And like today, as I was studying, as I was talking to God, I was like, man, what would it have felt like to be Joshua? Right? You're up until this moment, you've seen God move in an amazing way with the Jordan, and now you're like, okay, God, we're going into the land that you've already given us. Right? That's part of the promise. Right? Is that God didn't say, hey, I'm going to give you a shot at this land. Right? Think about it. The promise that the Israelites have been standing on for generations now is God saying that I am going to give you this land, this land I've already given for, to you. It's a land flowing of milk and honey. And yet, if I'm Joshua, honestly, standing, crossing the Jordan, you know, we celebrate the Passover, and now I look at Jericho, and for whatever reason, now the author of Joshua has been debated whether it was Joshua or somebody else, but um, a lot of scholars at least believe that, that whoever wrote it had a first-person account. Right, so, so a lot of people believe that it was Joshua, and then there's some parts in the book that were added in as like excerpts uh, later on. But anyway, the author, he describes Jericho that the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in, right? So we're getting this picture of Joshua and the troops walking up to Jericho, looking at it, and it is completely shut down like it is fortified it is secured and i thought to myself if i was joshua i would have kind of been like in my head hopefully not out loud i've been like god like this is the first one right like we just crossed over into the promised land i would have thought that you would have allowed the first one to be easy Right? Like, 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 at least in the beginning, can you give us like, especially for the fact that God said that the land, I've already given it to you, right? And we saw this back in Exodus, right, where the Israelites had an issue because they saw giants in the promised land and it scared them and they said, oh my gosh, we're not going to be able to do this. And so they didn't believe God. But so many times when, 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 when God promises us something, we start to think for whatever reason. Now, now, God has never set the expectation for this. But when we start to think about the calling that God has on your life or the fact that we're, that we're walking into relationship with God, we tend to want things to be easy. Right? And that was my first reaction when I saw Jericho, right? Because I was like, man, this is the first one. And the first one you walk up to, the gates are completely shut down. Right? The town is completely fortified. And I started thinking, oh man, God, how much in my life, Lord, do I want to go deeper with you? Right? Right? That if I look at the Israelites, they're walking into the calling that God has on their life. Right? In the same way, some of us right now, right? Right? right we're, we're asking God, God, I want to walk into your calling. Right? I think just about all of us would raise our hands wherever you're at right now. Again, if you're driving, don't raise your hand. But a lot of us would say, yeah, I, I want to go where God wants me to go. I want to be who God wants me to be, 
right? So all you that are saying like, yeah, that's true. Now we got to fight with the tension that, that the reality is that we want to go where God wants us to go because somewhere in our mind, we think that it's going to be easy. But here's the really interesting part about Jericho in the first couple battles that the Israelites had to fight is not only was Jericho completely barred, but the first couple battles from Jericho to Ai, where we're going to see in the next chapter, this was actually an uphill battle. Right, the, where, where they were at the Jordan to Jericho and Jericho to Ai, it was actually a consistent uphill battle. Right, and for a lot of us, the, the journey of growing closer to God, I hate to say it right now, it's going to feel like an uphill battle, right? And the Holy Spirit told me that this is where some of us are right now in our walk with Jesus, right? For some reason, from, from the world or even just because we're human, we thought, okay, once I cross over from my sinful life, once I start once I start living my life for Jesus and I cross over the symbolic Jordan in my spiritual journey, I go from death to life, somewhere in our mind, we set the ex- expectation that we thought it was going to be downhill, Right, that we thought that because I go to church, because I start praying, because I stop doing all these bad things, God's going to bless me and therefore it's going to be easy. Right, that we automatically think that, that if we are in God's will, it's going to be a downhill fight. Right, If we're against God's will, it's going to be an uphill fight. But where I see throughout multiple places in scripture, and I'll show them to you, is that sometimes the direction that God wants us to walk in is going to be uphill, right? Sometimes we think that just because God called us out on the lake, right? I think about the disciples in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23, or 22 through 33, we see Jesus, he tells the disciples, he says, go out in the boat. And his disciples, they go out in the boat and they start, they start rowing on the lake. And, you know, a lot of us have heard this story. Jesus goes up on the mountain. He starts praying. And the Bible said that they get in trouble when they're in the middle of the lake. And the wind starts to blow. And they start to panic. And they start to freak out. And Jesus has to go out on the lake. And then that's where we see Peter walk on water. And it's awesome. But the thing is, is that I read that scripture and I say, Jesus, if you told them to go out there, I would have thought that the wind would have been with them. Why was the wind against them? And I think of the same way with the Israelites and with Jericho and with Ai, is that from the very beginning, they had to not only fight battles, but they had to fight going uphill. And I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants me to tell someone today that even though it feels like you're going uphill, it doesn't mean you're not in the will of God. Just because you feel like you're going uphill right now and you're like, man, like, like, you know how it feels when you're going uphill, right? That you're like, man, this is just like walking in itself is something, but going uphill, I feel tired. I feel like there's a wind in my face and we're confused because we're like, God, I really thought that this is where you called me. God, I thought, Lord, that this was the journey that you called me on, but why does it feel so hard? And the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us is because the goal of the promised land was not for the Israelites to just be in this land and live comfortably, right? Right. When you look at it, the goal of the promised land is that God wanted to separate his people from the rest of the world. And yes, he wanted to bless them, but most importantly, God's mission was for them to learn how to trust him. Right, think about the goal. Right, think about the goal of this. Right, the goal was not just to give the Israelites the victory in the promised land. Right, right, because we see that the Israelites can have the promised land, but if they're not following God, then they have issues. 
right? God's primary goal for the Israelites was to build their faith. And I know a lot of us don't like it. A lot of us are like, yeah, I've heard that before. But the reality is a lot of us have not internalized that. Because if I'm being honest with you, yes, part of me, my spirit, wants to do what God has called me to do. But if I'm being honest, I want it to be downhill, downwind. I want like gale force winds, right? I don't want just like a little bit of wind in my back. I want to be like, God, if I'm praying, if I'm fasting, if I'm seeking your face, if I'm, you know, consecrating myself, if I'm not doing all these worldly things, then God, I expect life to be easier. I expect you for you to send me wind on my back. But the reality is that if Jericho was not completely barred up, the reality is that if Jericho was downhill, if they had a military advantage in that sense, then the Israelites could have thought at the end of it that they did it because of how good they were and not because of how strong God was. And so yes, God will literally set up circumstances in your life and in my life that will not allow us to try to take glory because we can look at Jericho and we can be like, oh my goodness, the author was writing that it was completely barred up. That there was like no chance for the Israelites to get through it. But the author writes that it was completely barred up. And then check out verse 2. Verse 2 is just absolutely ridiculous, right? This, this is proof that God has a sense of humor, right? Because he says, then the Lord said to Joshua, right? I, I can see Joshua and this man. They're staring at Jericho. It's completely barred up. And Joshua, this man says to Joshua, this angel, the commander of the army, the Lord says, see, like, look, look at the city. I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings and its fighting men. And he says this and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I was Joshua, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Right? The city's completely barred up. It's uphill. We have no military advantage and it's completely on lockdown. And yet the commander of the army of the Lord says, see, look at this. This town is completely yours. That makes literally no sense, right? 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 If I was Joshua, if the angel of the Lord's gonna say that, I would expect like the doors to be wide open. There maybe be like a red carpet coming down, and being like, "See, look at it. Like I gave it to you, right?" I think about the the words of like it was literally put into their hands. It's usually like a like a like a literary device, right? Where it's like, "Hey, like they literally gave it to him. Like they put it in his hands. They put it on a silver platter." Right? But the reality is that in this moment, there was nothing on the outside. There was nothing on the outside of Jericho that made it look like that God had given it to them. Right? And I see the angel of the Lord told Joshua, he said, see, in other words, look at the see, look at the situation, look at the town, look at the city, look at the walls. And Joshua, in this very moment, I believe that what was going on in Joshua's brain is he was looking at the angel of the army of the Lord. He was looking at Jericho, and this angel says, See, look at this town that on the outside is completely barred up. And he said, I have already given you this town and the kings and all the armed men that are inside it. What I see in this moment is that Joshua, being, praise God, a man of faith, had to look at this battle and he had to look at the walls of Jericho not as obstacles for his army, but he actually had to see them as an opportunity for his faith to grow in God. Because Joshua had to look at it and say, okay, God, if you say so, Lord, there is nothing on the outside that tells me that you are telling the truth, but this is where I get to walk by faith and not by sight. What are you looking at in this season? Because I can tell you right now, and the Holy Spirit was just, man, he was speaking this to me, is that for every single person in every single season, there is a Jericho. 
I don't know what the Jericho is for you. I got, I got plenty of them. I don't know what that situation is for you in this season. I don't know what the person or the relationship maybe is or, or something that you feel like you've been praying about, something that you believe God has, has called you into. Maybe it's a job or maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's just something you've been wrestling with in your flesh, right? Because Jericho was a fortress. It was a stronghold. And I think there are strongholds in your spiritual walk. It might be pride. It might be selfishness. It might be anxiety. It might be depression. It might be lust. It might be pornography. I can keep going on and on and on. That every single person in every single season has a Jericho. I can promise you that right now. And we can just get off the train of like believing the lies of the devil and saying, ah, if I just get through this fall of 2020, and if I just get through the winter of 2020, or if I just get through this program, or if I just get out of this single season, or if I just get out of the dating season, if I just get out of the engaged season, if I can just get into that season, if I can just get into the next job, then everything's going to be great. There will always be a Jericho. Because while you might see Jericho as an obstacle, God sees it as an opportunity. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I'm going to say that one one more time. Holy Spirit, put that in my heart. While you see Jericho as an obstacle, mm, thank you, Holy Ghost. God sees it as an opportunity because Jericho was not an obstacle for the Israelites. God said, hey, look at that obstacle that's completely barred up, that nothing on the outside looks like it's getting any better, that nothing on the outside of the walls looks like they're getting weaker, but yet I've already given it to you. And there is a moment where the Israelites get to walk by faith and not by sight. And there is a Jericho right now in some people's lives right now, and there are Jerichos in my life right now that I have the decision to say, how am I going to look at this stronghold? How am I going to look at this obstacle? Because the, the, the angel, he said, see, to Joshua, he said, see, look at that stronghold. Praise God. And I have an opportunity today, and you have an opportunity today to look at a situation right now that maybe on the outside, even after you prayed about it, and even after you've leaned into God about it, and even if all these things are shifting and all these things are changing, even, even if you had an expectation and said, God, once I get over the Jordan, the first town that we're going to take, it's going to be an easy one. But now you're looking at it, and not only is the town barred up, but it's also uphill. And maybe it's not just uphill, but it's also barred up, uphill, and windy in your face and you're saying God this doesn't make any sense I thought you wanted me to walk into this and God's telling you he said yes I want you to walk into it but I don't want you to walk into it thinking that you can do it on your own I need you to rely on me and I just hear the spirit of the Lord today saying that we have a decision you have a decision to make on how are you seeing your Jericho because the Israelites in this moment in verse 2, they have a decision to make, right? That they look and all these things are barred up. And the, the angel of the army of the Lord, he says, look, I've given this to you. And they have a decision to make. Do they walk by faith or do they walk by sight? Because check this out right now. Walking by faith and walking by sight, that will lead them in two opposite directions. Walking by faith will lead them to Jericho. Walking by sight is going to say, no, this is too hard this does not look good. On the outside, I don't believe you, and so therefore I'm gonna turn around and I'm not even gonna try it. Right? The Israelites, they could have, they, they literally could have turned around and went back and said, no, we're just gonna go back. 
Or maybe they, 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 could have, they could have rebelled against God and said, God, I'm, I'm angry at you because it doesn't look easy. Or they can make the decision to walk by faith and say, God, you have brought me all this way. Praise God. The Israelites can say, God, you have brought me all of this way to the walls of Jericho, God. God, you brought us out of Egypt, Lord. God, you brought me through the Red Sea, God. You walked us through the wilderness, God. God, you brought us across the Jordan, Lord. And God, you brought us all the way to this place, God. And God, I know, God, that you are faithful to finish what you started. And so the Israelites get to say, God, you would not have brought me all the way out here if you did not have a plan for my life, God. God, you are a good God. And I lean on that. And because I believe in that, God, you have not brought us all the way out here to leave me here now. And I believe that that is the season right now for some people right now is that you are looking at a Jericho. And I don't know, it might be your job. It might be your boyfriend. It might be your girlfriend. It might be your husband or your wife. It might be your ministry. It might be your own mental health. You're looking at a Jericho and God is telling us to stop looking at it as an obstacle and look at it as an opportunity because there will always be a Jericho. And I'm not telling you right now that just by saying, oh, I'm going to look at it differently, it's going to just go away. But what I'm telling you is that if you look at it by faith, that's going to give you the focus to be able to see that God is in the middle of this. It's going to give you the ability to look at it as an opportunity and not an obstacle. So we see that the, the angel, he says, look at Jericho. He said, it's yours. Praise God. I believe God is speaking that right now to us, that this season is yours. God has given you this season. I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm not telling you it doesn't look difficult, but God has given you everything you need in this season. Praise God. I believe that. I'm going to speak that into myself right now, that God has given us everything we need in this season to conquer, that the devil might be lying to you, the world might be lying to you, and it might be an uphill battle at times, but I know that my God is faithful. I know that my God is worthy, and I'm going to lean into that promise, praise God. And so in verse 3, praise God, we see the the, the angel of the army of the Lord, he says, March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, right? Right, so then, then, then the angel of the army of the Lord, he gives them this instruction that makes absolutely no sense, right? Literally no sense, right? Joshua is a warrior, Right? All the warriors are the ones that went across first, right? The Bible says that it was Joshua and all the armed men, right? Right? And we look back in the earlier chapters of Joshua, we see that it was that it was uh, Reuben and Gath and the half tribe of Manasseh. Those were the three tribes that he said, Hey, you guys can stay on the east side of the Jordan, but I need all your armed men to go across before all of us, and you need to help us take over, right? So these are all of the armed men. They are ready to fight. And yet God gives them instructions to not only not fight, but you're going to walk around 
Jericho. And Jericho was roughly believed to be anywhere from about six to nine acres, right? That's a little more than six to nine football fields, you could say. So it's not a really big city. It's not a really big fortress. It takes about roughly 30 minutes to walk around. But what God says is he says, you're going to walk around the city seven times, right? Six times in six days. The last day, the seventh day, praise God, the number of completion. You're gonna walk around it seven times and then you're gonna play some music praise God, and you're going to get the victory that way, right? And, and I think something that's so important in these verses, in verses 3 and 6, as, the, as they get the instructions, is, is look at the major role that the Ark of the Lord plays in this, right? That not only does he tell the warriors to walk around seven times for seven days, but he also says, bring the Ark of the Lord. Now remember, the Ark of the Lord is, is not only symbolic, but is literally the place that God said that he would bring his presence, that he would sit in between the mercy seat and underneath the wings of the cherubs on the Ark, and he would speak to the Israelites that way. And so God's presence was inside the Ark of the Covenant, right? And so God said, bring the Ark of the Covenant with me, right? With you as you walk around the walls, right? And, and, so, and so the Israelites, from the very beginning, God is setting the expectation that if you want to conquer any of this place that I have called you, you need to do it with my presence. Right now, I think about Joshua and all these warriors. They've done this before, right? They are warriors in their own rights. And I think, and I thought about how God was trying to teach them, praise God, that if you try, and we're going to see this later on in the book, if you try to do what you even think you're good at, if you try to do it without God, you're not going to do it. And I started thinking about, Lord, what are the places in my life, God, that I've been trying to do it without you? Right at the very best I can tell you is that I have things that I'm like, yes, I need God for that. Right? I need God at church. I need God when I preach. I need God when I'm doing these things. And I need God as like a overarching high level sense for my life, quote unquote. But then I look at my job or then I look at my relationships or then I look at making money or then I look at speaking or breathing or even talking. And I'm like, no, God, I can do this. I'm pretty good at this. What are the things that we're trying to do without God? Right? It's so easy for us to divide our lives into sections, things that I need God for, and then things that I can do on my own. Right? And the problem if you do that is that that second section, the things that you can do on your own, that will slowly begin to grow and grow and grow and grow until you're trying to do things without God. And the reality is that what we see is the key component to victory for the Israelites is the Ark of the Covenant. And I'll tell you right now is the key to you living a life that God has called you to live. And I'm talking about even the marriage that God has called you into. I'm going to say it right now. If you want to survive, if you want to, and again, yeah, I said the word survive because a marriage is going to be a battle. You have to fight against the devil, you have to fight against the world, and you have to fight against yourself. And sometimes you have to fight against your partner's flesh. You have to fight against so many enemies at times, and through it all, you need to remember that you and your wife, you and your husband, are on the same side. And so if you want to get through even, like, because all of us, and I'm talking about marriage right now because so many of us are young, so many of us are even in, are either in the beginning of a marriage or you're on the way to marriage or you're single and you're like, oh, I just want to be married. And the reality is that if you want to have a successful marriage in God's eyes that is loving and joyful and building the other person up, you need the presence of the Holy Spirit. You don't just need him a little bit, right? You need all of him. If you want to be in the job, because God's not going to call you somewhere that you can go on your own. 
God's not going to do that. I'm sorry, but God's primary mission is not for you to feel comfortable. God's primary mission for the Israelites in the promised land was not for them. If, if that was God's mission, Jericho would not be standing. Think about it. Like the rest of Joshua would not be here because all the rest of Joshua is them fighting all these battles, right? The reality is that God said, yes, I want to give you this land. I want to bless you with this blessing. But the reality is that the biggest blessing of all is that you are mine and that I want you to be in relationship with me. And so many of us, we want the promised land, but we don't want the one that gave the promise, right? We want blessings, but we don't want the one that's blessing us. We don't want a relationship with God. We just want a transactional experience of like, yo, I just need my job. I just need my money. I just need my cars. I just need my husband. I just need my wife. I just need my degree, whatever that might be. But God, then I'm good. But the reality is that God does not want you to walk into this next season without him. And so that's why I believe that God will bring you into seasons and he'll bring, he'll, he'll even allow Jericho's to be in your life because he wants you to trust him. And so God gives the Israelites these instructions to walk around the city and it doesn't make any sense. But the reality is that the largest, praise God, the largest and primary purpose for these battles was dependency on God and his spirit. And so what areas of your life are you still trying to do on your own? What things are you still trying to do in your own strength? What things are you still just going after for you and you're saying, God, I want you as long as it means I get this and I want it to be easy and please do not ask me to go uphill, God. I <laughs> think of us in like all of our like nice clothes, like trying not to walk up a mountain, like God, you do not expect me to go up that mountain and to get dirty, right? But if you wanna have an impact on the kingdom of God, like right now today, even as I'm speaking this, if I, if I want this to be more, than just a show. If I want my life with God to be more than just a routine, if you want your life with God to be more than, oh, I prayed the prayer, I'm good to go, check it off the box. Now that I'm saved, let me go live my life. That is not God honoring. That is not what God has put you on earth for. God has put you on earth to save other people through the power of his spirit. God has put you on earth to love other people. And this is not in my notes, but I just want to slow down and tell someone today that God put you here not all about you. I'm going to say that sentence one more time because that didn't make a lot of sense. God did not put you here for you to live a life that revolves around you. And some of us, we have been living our lives and our lives revolve around me. It's me, it's my job, it's my relationship, it's my family, it's what I want. And if I'm taken care of, then I might throw some love to somebody else. But if I'm not being loved, I'm not going to love. I'm not going to serve. And that is not what God calls the church to be. All of Jesus' teachings are backwards, right? Right. If you think that God's instructions to the, Jer to, to the Israelites was backwards, Jesus' teaching, the one that by you saying you're a follower of Jesus, you're then saying that I then am going to follow Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching said that if you try to hold on to your life, then you're going to lose it. Jesus' teaching said, love those who persecute you. Right? A lot of us are having trouble loving people that we love, loving people that love us. But Jesus says, hey, the pagans love people that love them. But he said, a sign 
that you are mine is by the way that you love other people. So how are you loving people today? I just want to like, mm, this has nothing to do with what I thought Jericho was about. But I'm just going to ask you right now, take an inventory check. And if you don't want to take an inventory check, that's part of our issue is that we're not willing to look introspectively. But right now I need to look, how has my ability to love other people been going? Have I been so focused on my stuff? Right? I know a lot of us are busy. A lot of us have jobs that are difficult. A lot of us have things that we're focused on. How are you loving other people? How are you serving other people? That is the fruit of Jesus. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's loving other people. Jesus' teachings are completely backwards. They don't make any sense, but God sometimes will call us into things that don't make any sense, right? A lot of us, we want Hallelujah. A lot of us, we want the promised land, but a lot of us don't want to do what God's calling us to do. I'm telling you, God's way is not our way. And I see that in order for the Israelites to take over Jericho, they had to do something that made no sense. They had to put their trust in God and say, God, we're going to do this. And that was a huge part of their victory. Right? I want to, I want, I want, I want to just close with this because this part, I want to get back to my track right now. Um, I want to close with this, verses 7 through 11. This was an amazing part. Because in verses 7 through 11, we see that Joshua told them, he said, hey, don't shout until I tell you to. Right? And then if that's not enough, the author really wants to drive it home. And he says, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. Right? I found this really interesting that a large component of the victory for the Israelites was dependent on the Israelites being obedient on when to open their mouths and when not to (laughs) right joshua he said he said hey don't shout until i tell you to don't even say a word until i tell you to and i thought about like man that was a huge part of this victory right was the israelites ability to be obedient and to know when to speak and when not to speak right i started thinking about man god how many battles in my life lord could i have diffused if I would have known when to speak and when not to speak, right? There are so many times, praise God, thank you, Holy Spirit, especially in a marriage, you start to learn that if you would just listen to the Holy Spirit, because a lot of people are like, oh, God, give me a word. God, give me a word. God, give me a word, right? And God will give you a word, but sometimes the word is to not say a word, right? Man, I would, and my wife would agree, I could diffuse so many arguments that I don't even need to have with other people if I just decided to humble myself and to shut my mouth and just say, God, I'm not even going to try to win the argument. I'm not even going to try to, you know, put somebody else down. I'm not even going to try to correct somebody because the reality is I only correct other people because I want them to think I'm smarter than them. And I want to think that I'm smarter than them because that means that I can somehow try to fill my low self-esteem by proving to everyone else that I'm smarter than them. But the reality is that if we would just learn to not speak those words, right? That, that, that praise God, I started seeing, right? That the, the victory was dependent on when they spoke and what they spoke. And I think a lot of times the deciding factor in our battles against the devil are the words that we decide to speak or the words that we decide not to speak, right? I cannot tell you that how many times my battles and the things that I was fighting with against the enemy and fighting with even with other people, they would have turned out so much different if I, if I would have either decided not to say the words that I said or if I would have changed the words that I said, right? I'm, I really believe right now that, that there is such a big 
dependency on the words that you speak, right? Right? And we talked about how the how the angel of the army of the Lord, how he told Joshua, he said, see, look at Jericho. And I see not only was it important for what they saw, and we talked about walking by faith and not by sight, but it was also very important of them speaking when they were supposed to speak. And I think there is such a huge importance in our in our in our battles against the enemy on the words that we speak. Right? Not only the words that we do speak, but also the words that we don't speak. Right? And I'm talking both internally and externally. And I started thinking about, man, God, I thought of Ephesians chapter 6 where the Bible says that our battle is not against flesh or blood, but again, it's against the enemy. Right? Against, it's against the spiritual powers of wickedness and the, and the demonic forces, right? the dark forces of this world. So I started thinking about, man, God, how, many, how much energy are we wasting in the church on fighting battles against other believers, on speaking words that are not building each other up, but speaking words that are tearing other people down? Right? The reality is that the Bible says that we're supposed to be encouraging to other people. But I just really heard the Holy Spirit reminding me, being like, hey, this is the part that we need to work on as the church. Right? As the church, we need to work on the words that we are speaking over other people. Right? That we are called to encourage. Right? When was the last time you encouraged somebody else? When was the last time you gave compliments to somebody else? Giving compliments can be so difficult when we are insecure about ourselves. But when you are confident in yourself, and when you start to, when you start to speak life over, over other people, there is an anointing that comes from that. We have an opportunity to speak life over other people. Not only externally the words that you're speaking, but also what are the words that you're speaking over yourself? Again, I think a lot of us, if I was in Joshua's shoes and we were looking at Jericho, we would not have listened to God. We would have not had the faith to say, okay, let's do it. We would have looked at Jericho and said, oh my gosh, those walls are so thick. The hill is so steep. There's a slight wind in my face and it's cloudy maybe and it's humid. Maybe it's too hot. And right away, we start to look at all the things that are trying to convince us to not conquer Jericho. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Let me just finish with this. The devil will always try to highlight the things that try to convince you to turn around. And I can tell you right now, as I'm going to just say this again as I close, there will always be a Jericho. Thank you, Holy Ghost. There will always be a Jericho. And my journey today is what am I focusing on? What am I speaking over the situation? What am I looking at? Am I speaking? Am I looking at the walls and the uphill battle and all the things that God could have made easier? Or am I deciding to look at those walls not as an obstacle, but an opportunity for God to show His sovereignty, for God to show His power, for God to show His grace? That is the reason for Jericho. It's for God to get glory, right? The scriptures say it. It says that they will know that there is a God in Israel. And so today I pray that whatever the Jericho is, that you would look at Jericho not as an obstacle, but as an opportunity and say, God, I trust you in this season. That I'm going to look at this season in faith. And I'm going to believe, God, that you are present even in the middle of the storm, even in the middle of the battle. You are present, God, and I trust you, and I believe, and I declare, Lord, that the best is yet to come.